Hello everyone and welcome to the new episode of UX Banter podcast. This podcast is presented by Galaxy UX Studio and powered by Galaxy Weblinks. Hello everyone. Our guest of today's episode is someone who strives to lead change with user-centric design. He is a master of many domains helping organizations to research, innovate and enable a digital transformation through user-centric design. An excellent problem solver and a critical thinker. a personal mentor of mine please welcome design director for valtech uk mr fergus rosh hey uh, hey this happy to happy to be here and happy to support you in your podcast thank you very much for being here here's the thing that you meet your old mentors and when i say mentors i mean trust me if i remind the couple of times when we actually have got the opportunity to work for so once we went to yovel i believe for clark's design thinking workshop that we did that was an yeah. amazing experience which i had second time we had those user testing sessions uh with nhs and uh in my long career i mean you were the first person to put me in the chair to you know sit down there and do a user testing in person for the first time and i believe the trust that you shown in me that day that actually helped me become more confident about that how to just go out there and do the user research well i'm i'm glad that um i think sometimes i'm glad that that helped i mean i think sometimes with user research some people can uh there's lots of things that can trip you up but i think actually sometimes it is a case of just you know getting on having conversations with people chatting with people asking people questions and and listening to what they have to say and, and it's funny that you remember those <laughs> no the funny thing is here that now i'm going to tell you is that i was responsible to of taking photographs at both the event and actual picture that i took uh, when you were in the seat you were doing the user testing session with the person and i was behind that glass wall with the people who are taking notes their clients and that photo i put it on instagram and uh, you can't be identified like from that photograph but whenever i have to explain that how a studio setup for user testing should look like i use that picture as an example oh i must i must have a look at that i'm probably less less gray <laughs> less, less less gray in that uh in in that shot so yeah Yeah so that photograph actually is you know perfect setup that there is somebody who is sitting in the chair trying to perform the task that you are assigning them there is a camera there is a video that is shown up inside the room people are taking notes and all that is happening at once so i think that actually sums up that how a user testing session is performed and i believe you know those are the things when you are working with people who are in the industry that deep with that sort of confidence that you bring to the table it 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 makes you realize that you know nothing is possible there are still you know leaders out there who will help you out in getting things on the road going to the question i mean how do you think user centered design can bring about a change i mean we talked about testing we talked about that design thinking mm. workshop that has happened so what kind of problems can we solve with user centered designing framework particularly i guess the you know fundamentally we all have assumptions so you know the the cleaner that's cleaning like you know uh you know or many of the offices that we work in and 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 the sort of senior stakeholders making like all these key decisions they're all just humans the purpose of user centered design it is really about testing our assumptions like our design assumptions with with real humans so that people can make better decisions so i think that's a fundamental one so if you're designing something that's for a human like a product or a service or a website or an app or whatever an assumption there that you're um 
you know, you're designing it for, for a human, for a user. But I think the thing that's really interesting that you asked in the question was how it can bring about change. So the, the, the wonderful thing about, the wonderful thing about UCD <laughs> is that it tends to cast the problem space from the user's perspective. So not the technology, not the system, not the business, but the user. And that, that really holds weight for me. Um, and often what you're trying to do is you're trying to shift the assumptions that senior decisions, decision makers have probably already made in their head. So the reason why you're not just designing it with a bunch of designers and not testing it with real users or, or, or designing it from a user-centered perspective is so that you can evidence the, you know, the assumptions that you're, you're all kind of bringing to bear. You know, you can, you can actually get into that, that piece where you're, you're starting to, so let, let me give you an example. So often with, with design um, and, and the, really the value of sort of user-centered design is, is trying to understand you know, what the risk is and what the opportunity is and, and what the uncertainty is. So if you're like where I've been involved with designing like a government service that's completely brand spanking new for a bunch of people that you assume have got problems and needs, um, then there's all sorts of assumptions running rife in everybody's everybody that's making those decisions. So really what you're trying to do with the design process is, is evidence. You, you know, the assumptions that everyone's making and, and, and actually test things with real users to understand, yes, oh, that does make sense. Or no, no, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So don't do it like that. So I, I think that's the, that's really the, the, the core of it. So it's about testing our assumptions and, and removing a lot of the risk um, that is inherent sometimes in the design process. So is it connected to the another question that I have or another thing that we come across from researching while I was doing a bit of research for this podcast is about metrics leadership that, that, that I figured. So can you please elaborate about that, how metrics leadership <laughs> is useful in the organizational UX? I mean, I, for me, it was a, it was a, it was a new thing that I, I kind of, it be, became kind of core to my role. Um, you know, my, my job, my day job is, is, you know, design director in the UK and Valtech and, you know, it's a big old kind of, you know, we, we're operating, I don't know, 20 or countries, there's four and a half thousand people or whatever. And, and actually, I guess the purpose of sort of matrix leadership, it kind of forces you to find those kind of win-wins. So for example, let's say we're trying to build a consensus around how we do design systems, for example, so that we're being more efficient in our approach to design. Well, with matrix leadership, it assumes that there isn't a kind of sort of central command top-down kind of world, um, which we don't have in our organization. Um, it assumes that um, I'm not in charge of everything. I don't get to decide. You know, it, it, it's the fact that, you know, you've got neat networks, you've got decentralized ownership, and it's really about consensus building. So the thing about matrix leadership, or from my, from my perspective anyway, is it's, it sort of forced me to find those kind of win-win situations. Like what's in it for the people that I need to get something across the line and aligning the sort of ask around, well, what's in it for them? You know, so how can we build consensus around something like, I don't know, design systems, like I mentioned, you know, or 
here's a, here's a, here's a good one that everybody has an opinion about, like the software that designers are going to use. So let's say we want to shift to using, I don't know, Figma, for example. I was like, well, that's the kind of thing that everybody's got an opinion about, gets really, really kind of hit up because it's the software that they use every day. Um, and yeah, you could just go in and just be like, right, that's it, everyone, you're all on this. And, and, and that doesn't really, but that's not really the real world these days or, or not really for the places and organizations that I work in, you know, or our clients, you know, typically there's lots of different people, lots of different stakeholders, um, and I guess matrix leadership is, is about finding that win-win in the relationships and the consensus that you're trying to build. Um, and it's, it's much less central command. Great. I mean, this is something new for me. I mean, this is the first time that, you know, I'm getting inputs on, on that particular topic. So uh, point goes to you again for actually introducing me to something which I had no clue about. So this leads to the part about design transformation. I mean, I have been doing a course on design transformation at IIM Indore. And the, the one of the entire class that we spend on was on the idea that the hardest part about design transformation is not about the implementation, but acceptance. It's not adoption that, you know, you can just bring SAP mm -hmm. in and it solves a problem, but it is the organization's processes that have to be adopted to the solution that you are bringing in. And then the organization mm -hmm. have to be flexible enough to adopt to every idea that actually, or all the changes in process that come from that transformation. That is where the idea is that anything that you are putting across to change the, the acceptance of the employees or the teams or the clients or the users, it has to be paramount in the end that whether the solution that you're offering becomes a success or not. I guess an um, analogy to that is, is very much um, like service design. So, you know, if you're often, if you're doing service design work or you're doing design within a sort of there's usually some sort of transformational thing going on at the, uh, at the client side, hence the reason why they're looking to change the service or bring in a new product or, or what have you. Um, and I think sometimes the sort of transformation word kind of gets bandied around a bit. Um, and I've definitely been involved extensively in, in, in transformational, transforming projects and stuff. And, and I think for, for anyone that's not involved with it, but knows of transformation and that sort of word that's used often. The, the thing about the thing about it is, it's is basically that the organization is changing, and change is 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 never straightforward. Um, so you you know it, it just isn't like it's really quite it's quite difficult, and 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 ultimately the 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 difficulty with transformation, it just comes down to there's a bunch of humans that like work together and they they want to do things differently and there's a there's a there's a huge amount of kind of friction and 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 weight around legacy stuff you know the people that are either in the employee experiences wedded to the to the previous you know the legacy stuff um so when you're kind of making you know transformational impactful design decisions and you're like, well, I think we should change the product. And I think it should be like this. It's like, well, someone's actually got to manage that. Someone's got to operationally run that thing. So we have to be cognizant of the fact that when we do design and we like knock some stuff together in a prototype, 
um, and then we go and test it with some users. And we're like, well, that was easy because, and that was really, you know, well, we've come up with some really kind of cool kind of like design. It's like, well, someone's got to actually operationally run that thing. Sure. And, and often the designer or design team hasn't really kind of, they just thought about all the benefits that come from it. And they're not really thought about the operational impact or even the technical impact of like, well, how are we going to go and build that? How are we going to, and then when we build it, how are we going to run it? And, and then you'll often get that with, with designers where they're like, well, I don't know, that's not, I haven't really thought about that. So I think, I think that's, uh, I think where design becomes more useful, becomes more relevant is where design, you know, it does start to think about that sort of stuff. It, it, it moves beyond like cool interactions and moves into, okay, this is gonna, not only is it gonna, it, it, if this could transform someone's life that's going to use it in this way, but they've actually thought about, okay, well, how's the organization going to like manage it? So yeah, I, I think that's a, it, it. That piece that you're talking about there around designing within a transformational space, it's um, it kind of it is a really important. If you're doing kind of complicated things, then yeah, it's, it's very important. <laughs> okay, so about service design, there is another tangent that I want to uh, go from there is about the customer experience or the CX part of it. So I believe from Johnson & Johnson, Qatar Airways, BBC, Vodafone, NHS, I believe you did something for Dior as well back in the day. Um, how different the entire CX space is from your regular UX uh, space how, how are there any differentiators or what has been your experience like sometimes with 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 you know user experience you know often the ux kind of work that many of us have been doing for years and years was to really try and understand like usable patterns that that could be used for for, for the majority for, for many people and you know we try and get into really understanding you know, okay, this is a really great pattern for, I don't know, a login page or, or whatever, or a checkout flow or what have you. And often sort of UX was, was very much of that kind of usability, accessible kind of space. And that's a really profound space for it to have got to, you know, that's not a, that's not a negative. I think that's a great thing. I think a lot of those patterns are more and more getting understand, understood. I think with CX, kind of for a long time, customer experience and CX kind of shifted out of the kind of like where stuff's getting designed and stuff's getting built. And then when in, in the real world, uh, where the, the, the UX is actually being used, CX has kind of sort of shifted for some time into that kind of optimized, like make this work for like the individual experience. So not about being generalized, but about it being individualized, about being, and, and like all of that optimization work that, that goes on with stuff that UXs, once they've actually designed it and it's got built and it actually goes live and people are actually using with it, then often CX is kind of in that space. I think where we've got to, where we've got to get to is where we've kind of moving beyond, you know, patterns, and optimization and we start thinking more holistically about sort of total experience um, and that's both so within service design where it's thinking about the employee side of things it's thinking about the operational side of things through to you know we're getting joined up about the seo the advertising you know the top end of the funnel um, and actually we start to think beyond all that and we start to think well 
what's the value of whatever this product or service is like for you know I don't want to say the greater good but like what is this actually <laughs> for and I and I think I think the 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 mis the misalignment with with UX can be that it's 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 just one discipline within within like when you're actually designing for a real experience that a real human is going to have with a product or service, there's so many different kind of parts of an organization and, and, and disciplines that need to be involved with that, that you've really got to start looking at the total experience. You, you know, you need to align the marketing because, you, you, you know, in terms of like, well, then finding this product or service, um, you really got to align the kind of the customer experience once they become a customer. Um, and you need to start really trying to understand, you know, the, the sort of how you're going to measure success because how you measure success for somebody's wireframing stuff out, you know, in during a design and build process versus, you know, an actual live product is, is, is quite different. So I, I, so I think, I think there's a, a space that we need to get to where we get beyond UX, we get beyond CX and we actually start to get, more holistically joined up around the, the the total experience. Absolutely fantastic to hear your views on that. And don't worry, I, I, I feel you, like you I said that you were going to. Sorry, yeah, please. I, did, I feel like I didn't answer your question though, in terms of like key learnings um, from from some of those clients that you mentioned. I guess, I guess the um, I guess one of the things that I have found across all the clients that I've worked with. Um, you know, it, every sector feels like it's very special, very different. Um, my my experience is, you know, it, humans are the, the 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 people making decisions, and they're the same regardless of the sector. And humans are using these products and services regardless of the sector. Um, and I, you know, so the the problems are often very similar, you know, across across sectors. Um, and I guess if we focus less on on like look and feel which is basically design production and we focus more on the design method right then then actually like what is this product for what is the actual user need how are we designing for that user need how are we testing it then actually the the the, the way that you solve the, the the problem or the opportunity for the consumer or the the, the citizen it's very similar across sectors is my i completely 100 percent agree with that there's this one thing which i have come across in all the talks that you know we've been recording for this podcast series is that this is the core of it every uh, great designer every design leader that we are speaking with uh, it all boils down to the people that be it the people in your team that how they are aware and feel and made feel valuable how much value you are putting to the customer that you are actually dealing with or how important uh, for you the user is because that is the only way you can come up with products which are really successful and and to build the organization that has this inclusive nature value to people i think comes first so in in the cx side of things if you're giving that importance to the one customer who is walking in is obviously the, the crux of it it doesn't matter which industry we are working for as long as yeah. the empathy is applied the right way and the understanding is done and you know removal of all the guesswork and doing the evidence-based design is is the key here mm. so uh with the serious questions aside now i'm going back to my deck so this is our ux banter questions so the first okay. questions are you ready okay your favorite tv show of all time 
The Wire. The Wire. Okay, serious one. <laughs> okay, so your favorite holiday destination? I, I really like the heat and the sun. Uh, so my favorite holiday destination is somewhere where it's hot and I'm with family or friends or both. How hot can you handle? Sat outside in the midday sun in Qatar. Right now, this is 40, 41 degrees uh, outside uh, in India. So that's like uh, the entire <laughs> week that we've been having. Yeah, so welcome, I would... welcome to India anytime that you want to. I would very much welcome uh, that sort of temperature because right now out here, it's probably just a really rubbishy British, like, I don't know, <laughs> 11 or 12 degrees. <laughs> Yeah, and we are dying out here to actually just make an escape to anywhere in Europe, at least, just to get away from the heat that we are facing. And this is just the start. I mean, we have like solid two and a half months to go before the monsoons arrive. Okay, so one day in your life that you would like to relive. God. Um, one day. Um, I, I don't know. Um, maybe sometime when I had like, uh, I can remember about five years ago, throwing a big party at my house, um, big barbecue, loads of friends. Um, everyone had a really good time. The weather was great. Um, that was pretty awesome. Um, I, I can remember being on holiday once in, in Menorca um, and I was staying in a beautiful place. Um, my kids were like younger and running around making mischief. <laughs> My wife wasn't too far away. It was probably like, you know, we were cooking food and I don't know. Um, God, I should say something much more um, profound. <laughs> much more profound. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe a time before Trump. <laughs> any Brexit. day before, any, any, any day before Brexit, any day before <laughs> Trump was in power in the US. Um, Basically when I was in UK. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe when my dad was alive. Um, um, yeah, now you got me thinking about him. Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, when with friends and family having a good time. There you go. I've said that twice now. Wow. A laid back, uh, chilled out atmosphere where you are on holiday without a worry in the world. I think that would be the ideal day that <laughs> yes, anybody yes, wants to yeah. relive. <laughs> I think that will do nicely. Thanks. And that's so, and that's do it. That's actually doable again in the future. So it wasn't some time that I can't get back. Like when I was at when I was at I don't know when I was at uni or whatever, where it's just <laughs> not possible. So yeah, that's kind of realistic. Books or movies? Oh, both. Oh my gosh, I I wouldn't get I wouldn't give up either. Um, so I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna say both. So which is the book that has the most profound impact on you or you would like to read again or recommend? I just was recently reading 1984, but I, I don't recommend you read that one. It's, it's quite dark. Um, okay, here, here's a good one, given the fact that we are talking about kind of UX and the like. Um, so there's a really good book called The Undoing Project, um, which was written by the guy who wrote Moneyball. And it's about um, it's about the the Jewish um, sort of psycho psychologists who came up with um, all the work that he did on decision and human bias. So there's a really famous book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which is by one of the the actual psychologists. However, I'd skip that one, although you should read it, uh, and read The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, who is about he he's basically a biography of the two. Um, Jewish 
um, psychologists who came up with all the decision-making and bias stuff. And it's a really, really interesting book because um, you get all the human bias bit, mm -hmm. you get all their kind of research, but you also get the life of these two, um, of these two amazing, um, profoundly awesome, uh, and with all their kind of human challenges and issues and frailties, uh, two psychologists. So yeah, I'd recommend the Undo uh, the Undoing Project by um, by Michael Lewis. Cool. And with that, I would like to add a shameless plug here. Uh, my book called uh, UX Decoded uh, comes out in in a couple of weeks. So hey, watch out. You, you have to send <laughs> you have to send me a link to that. I'll um I'll look at it. Sure, I'll, I'll send you a copy. <laughs> and the last question for this, um, you know, free-flowing, non-connected conversation goes to your favorite mobile phone app. Uh, I've often, um, I've often referenced it just because of how profoundly product-focused it is. So, um, I should mention something frivolous like a game or whatever, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to mention, and I don't actually use it that much at the minute, um, but I'm going to mention Uber. Okay. It is by far one of the one of the best customer experience fo focused propositions um, of a business of an app of all sorts. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give my vote to Uber. Great. I mean, this that actually brought the disruptive uh, change. I mean, the pervasive technology that you know comes in and just changes the entire face of the business the world has you know been accustomed to by, for for booking a cab. Yeah. Or yeah and you you know i i've used it in multiple countries from sweden to lebanon to australia to the uk to france to it's kind of like the same wherever i go you know i've rocked up out of an airport switched it on and you know uh, and it works cheapest i found was in sweden interestingly there you go <laughs> No, I concur about the usage and the con consistency and the continuity of the application. It doesn't yeah. matter which country you are, the currency and everything can be used with the same card that you've added and you get the real data, right? Then you don't get confused about what's going on. Okay, so that brings to the end of this, this section or this segment. But the question that you know comes from here that you had your major in human psychology at the university. And... Mm. How do you think that that actually brings or helps you when designing for humans? I mean, I guess, um, you know, for a lot of like, designers that I've worked with over the years, they kind of went through art school. Um, so, you know, you know, there's definitely, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to hold up my hands and, and, and say, well, you know, when it comes to some like layouts in terms of graphical layouts, you know, I, I, I definitely, uh, I didn't have the academic background over the years in design. Um, but actually, I think given that I went down the pathway of kind of human-centered design and 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 you know started to think about the users and ran, I, I will run research as long as quick as I'll run service design. Um, I think it just it just made me human-centered, um, and it, it kind of gave me some grounding in, um, you know, like when we talk about being hypothesis-driven. What does that actually mean? You know, like <laughs> so that there is some kind of you know there is a you know there we are basing our approaches on on tried and tested um scientific approaches um even if we're we're not controlling the variables quite so much um so yeah i think i think for me design is about humans always has been 
So um, was it was it a conscious yeah. uh, decision? Was it an organic or, or just the organic growth that you know you had from this is what I studied and this is what I do now? Was is there? Tish, tish, I'm 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 as so as my youngest son would tell you that I'm five hundred thousand years old. So um, so <laughs> you know, I started out that when I did my degree, there, there was no real internet. Um, so. <laughs> um you know when i when i started in 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 working on on the internet you know i worked at a company called lastminute.com and i really got my education you know there um and um and then over the years i kind of shifted from from being a, a ba to um you know into being a designer to and then i guess for me it, it was a very natural progression to think about things from a human perspective probably because of my background in psychology um and i've always been curious about that um so yeah yeah i think it's um i mean over the years i think there's a lot of similarities in our methods between that in the legal side of things in you know in journalism investigative journalism and police work i think there's loads of similarities in 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 this kind of investigative approach to doing design um so yeah you could have gone those ways <laughs> and and lastly so you had a practice or you had a few you know design agencies that you were part of you ran a few agencies and um, you know did the business with individuals now you're part of a very big organization i mean valtech is um, is in about 20 different countries and you have offices and employees in in bulk um, how different it is to you know uh, be part of a larger setup and or working for a smaller agency like when you're working or dealing directly with the clients and the problems what is the difference between the two experiences um lots of my meetings are, are you know are different because it might be um i guess you're trying to wrangle lots of people um and then also some of the client work is 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 possibly bigger but it's still the same problems you know there's a difference between trying to wrangle five or 10 people to trying to wrangle 500 people um so you know the the those sort of challenges are different um the you know the, the sort of need for matrix leadership type thing where you're trying to kind of get get those kind of win-wins and you have to take a much longer term view of things um but often it it it's still the same thing you're still trying to do great design work you're trying to you still want a great outcome for your client um so that hasn't really changed um you know there's the still even if you're running a like a program with multiple projects okay so some of the outcomes are are more strategic more um more holistic um but ultimately you're still just trying to design great stuff um you still got groups of people coming together to do that so i i don't think it's i think it's as it's not it's not completely different you know i still think it's the same beast i think the difference is you know i'm i'm not responsible for running um the company uh you know i i i don't own a stake in the company so that's different um so motivations are different um but i still think with much of the the challenges that i'm i you know i'm dealing with are are from a design perspective uh, are, are the same things you know trying to do things right by your client trying to understand your clients and but it's it's just scaling it's just you know it's just scaling really it's just more people 
So when you put in the process in the the scaling part, I mean, design ops is always going to be a challenge in the mm. in the era of great resignation. Just maintaining the team and making sure everybody is on the track. I mean, these are universal challenges faced by mm. not just a smaller agency but the bigger corporations as well. Together, do you think that you are in the space where you are trying to find a solution to those things? Um, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely critical. I mean, like having an organization like Valtech being as efficient as it can be. Um, you know, that's a really important consideration, not just from it as a business, but with its clients. I mean, it's, it's really important that, you know, that's always a concern that, you know, if you work with a large organization, there's going to be, you know, you, you want all the benefits, you don't want all the wastage. Um, so I think it's, it is really important that, um, you know, when we consider design ops, we consider kind of scaling. So for example, um, a key difference from that perspective for me uh, and my organization is, you know, we, we, we've got mergers and acquisitions happening. So where we're buying kind of, you know, or new organizations are joining Valtech, you know, we've got all these kind of ways of working and we want to, we want to get all the benefits of these organizations coming together and none of the you know, none of the friction, none of the drag. Obviously, that's not possible. You've always got that. But it's like, how do we all get together and um, get the best and learn from each other while kind of simplifying our decision making so that we can scale? So that if if one of our clients, especially if it's a multinational, if they're working with us in the UK and they're working with us on the West Coast of America or they're working with us in India, it's the same thing, you know, they, they, they want the same kind of level of experience. So that really does come down to um, making our ways of working like simplified and simpler so that different teams can kind of, you know, uh, plug and play the, the, the same approaches. Uh, and that really comes down to more of less about kind of like we're all using the same technology and actually a set of kind of guiding kind of principles and beliefs that we can all kind of get behind things like that become really critical which the when i was running a small business the cross-functional teams management and making sure that the communication is linear because i believe 90 percent of the problems are caused by the, the gaps in communication uh, yeah as they happen yeah. but 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 also uh, um having um having beliefs that are um sort of said out loud that people can kind of get behind. Whereas in a small practice, that's less of a that's less of an issue. Um, but but having clear kind of guiding principles by which you can kind of all get behind, um, because the the level of like potential drag in obviously a large organization mm. can be quite high. Mm. So there's quite a lot of work to do to kind of push things forward. And and if we're all kind of we don't have to we don't have to think about it the same way but if we've got the same kind of belief system then we can operate better as a collective rather than central command because that doesn't work at our scale no. you can't have central command otherwise nothing gets done nothing. Um, you know yeah so the key term there goes like democratizing ux that everybody has a seat at the table everybody can actually talk about the ideas and finally there are a set of principles as you said certain processes in place so that there are always fallbacks there is always understanding that how the organization deals with any challenge that comes or how to solve any uh, given set of problems um 
with that i would like to thank you once again for your time uh, today it has been a mind blowing uh, session and i learned a lot again from you and <laughs> i must say that having you here as a guest is an absolute privilege and hope that we you know get to have this conversation in the coming seasons as well because i'd like to hear more about your views on things um everything designing well more happy to happy to have this conversation vish and um yeah and and thanks very much for for inviting me in to 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 talk it's really good to um well also kind of catch up with you again it was a pleasure so ladies and gentlemen or everybody who is hearing to this podcast tonight this was the episode with mr fergus rosh the the design director for valtech uk and in the coming weeks we will try to bring you somebody who matches to uh, the big shoes left out by mr rosh here and hopefully we'll be having more mind blowing conversations on on the similar lines and pathways to explore the design leadership practices across the world and how humans play a bigger role in designing um, than you might imagine all right so thank you and have a great day ahead bye